Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. I'm your host, Heather Stark, and I have a special guest with me today. And um, one of the things that I thought of when I invited this guest on the show and uh, thought about this topic that we're going to discuss is that I've been doing the show for seven years. And when I started doing the show, I thought, oh, sure, I could come up with, say, six months' worth of topics um, for this this show. And here it is seven years later, and I'm still gobsmacked because the topics never end. Um, the, the problems never seem to end, and the solutions never seem to end. And so here it is seven years later, still talking about these issues. And today, the topic that we're going to talk about, I think, is particularly um, dramatic because we're talking children. And I have a special guest with me. I have Melanie Blow. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Melanie works for the Stop Abuse Campaign, and she has a particular background in childhood trauma and abuse because she experienced it. And now she uses her talents to prevent adverse childhood experiences. Those of you who are regular listeners of the show know that we had Dr. Vincent Folletti on the show some time ago to talk about adverse child experiences, uh, adverse childhood experiences. And, uh, oh gosh, he's a pleasant guy, Melanie. If you ever have a chance to speak with him directly, he's just, just a wonderful person. So what we're going to talk about today is Caden's Law. And Melanie, I'm going to let you explain what is Caden's Law and why does it matter? Why should we care about it? So, Caden's Law is a law that's been introduced in Pennsylvania that would prohibit dis- custody decisions where somebody who has evidence that they have abused a child or abused that child's mother would be able to get custody or unsupervised visitation of that child. Now, this sounds very simple. This sounds like something that's common sense. Most people don't realize this isn't the way we do things right now. But yeah, that's when the, they don't. They they think that it's just. I mean, I've had people say, well, "Why doesn't she just take him to court? That'll be that'll take care of it." <laughs> right. Exactly. Because it's so obvious. It seems so logical that this wouldn't even happen, that we wouldn't give abusers custody of their children. But statistically, if somebody goes to if somebody goes to family court and they have been accused of abusing their child or abusing that child's mother, they are very, very likely to get full custody or at the very least significant unsupervised visitation. Yeah, and what did I, we had uh, Dr. Joan Meyer on the show to discuss her her uh, study as well, and I believe mm-hmm. that in some circumstances it was as much as an eighty five percent chance of getting custody yep. over the protected mother. Yes, um, absolutely. Proving and 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 this is this is my little uneducated theory, but judges bend over backwards to prove that they're not prejudiced in favor of women. Yes. I they think there is a strong element of truth to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that and then coupled with their assumption that women lie. And right. you just got this disaster disaster when it comes to child custody. So, right. okay, I interrupted you. So let, let's go back to the Caden situation. Yeah. Um, this, this law has been proposed. What kind of reception um, is there to this law? I mean, are people jumping on board saying, of course we should have this law? 
Well, yes. We well we that let me put that in some context. Um, so it took a while. We have been we were working on some legislation like this for years, and it we got we you know we'd get one legislator who would be on board with it. To it, when you explain this the custody court crisis to legislators, they you know they're humans. They did for the most part choose to do their jobs because they want to help people. So for the most part, when you educate and you explain what's going on, they often react like a good human being does, and they want to do something to stop it. So getting legislation introduced in Pennsylvania and in a couple of other states has not been that difficult. Then what typically happens is it gets up against the Judiciary Committee, and the Judiciary Committee is typically former judges who don't like being told what to do. So we had legislation that was kicking around for a couple of years, and it was people were talking about it. It was not, you know, it was it was there. It was gaining support, but very slowly. Um, we got Mark Rossi to sponsor it at one point, and he is a champion for statute of limitations reform in Pennsylvania. We figured that meant he was very brave, and he's also been very outspoken about being a sex abuse survivor. That worked very well, and then he also was able to get Representative Davis on board, who is just a big advocate for domestic violence victims. So things were moving along in Pennsylvania all right. We were happy, and then, um, unfortunately, Caden Mancuso got got murdered, and hers was a classic family court situation. Her mother wanted to leave her very abusive, very so. This guy was so deranged and so clearly unstable. He couldn't even wear the mask that abusers typically wear. He had very significant mental illness diagnoses. He had a lot of people, even the court evaluator, saying he should not be alone with a child. But the judge gave him unsupervised custody, and he murdered Caden and then killed himself during an unsupervised visit. Um, and, and as if that wasn't bad enough, what was the reaction of the court to that? The reaction to the court has, from the court has been horrible. They are denying any wrongdoing. They have said, basically, saying that murdered children is a cost of doing business. And I am not happy with that. I am not going to believe that. And nobody else, who, no other advocate believes that either. Well, I don't think any reasonable person believes that. I, I can't, you know, I, I and I tell this story so many times, I'm sure everybody is tired of me saying it, but I, it was so shocking to me. I had a Denver family court judge on the show, and this was years ago now, um, like three years ago maybe, four, and um, I asked her, I said, please tell me, and, and, and I asked all around the country for a family court judge who gets domestic violence, who gets it. Mm-hmm. And this is the person that I was told gets it. She understands it. So I invite her on. Yes, she's happy to come on the show and talk. This is a good sign, right? 
As I'm talking with her, I said, please explain to me what goes through the mind of a family court judge when you have one person who has documented, and I specifically said documented, who has documented domestic violence in their background and another one who does not, who has been uh, a caregiver. What goes through the mind of a judge when the judge gives custody to the one with the domestic violence background? And her response was, well, you have to understand that you've got two people in front of you. One is frantic and beside herself and just can't hold it together. And you've got another one who's calm and in control and he can handle it. So if the domestic violence isn't that bad, we'll give custody to the abuser. And she saw that as being perfectly logical. Uh And my first thought was, this woman doesn't have a clue about domestic violence. Not a clue. She was not familiar at all. I mean, of course he's going to be calm and control and in charge. That's what he does. He controls. You know, and he has that right. mask that you've talked about. And yet this judge who makes these determinations on a daily basis and who was perceived by her peers as being really with it and knowledgeable about domestic violence made a statement like that. I, I was just, I mean, it's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's, that is astonishing, but it's also that, that encapsulates a lot that encapsulates a lot of misconceptions and just a lot of how we get into this situation in the first place. Um, because she, I, wow, that's, you you did very good with that. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And judges are so, their their training is such that you know they have to assume that basically that they're the ones who are sniffing out lies and that the little behavioral clues they see and everything like that their their interpretation of logic and of human behavior is enough to figure out who's telling the truth and who is lying and things like that and with and that is completely ignores any concept of trauma and any concept of, yeah, things like domestic violence, of understanding what it's got to be like for a parent to be standing next to somebody who might have tried to kill them, who might have tried to kill their child, who they have significant reason to believe is sexually abusing their child. Nobody. standing next to this person that they know will win at all costs, Yep. They know this from living with this person, and this person wants to take away the children. Yeah. Of course, they would not be normal if they weren't terrified. Right, exactly. So, I don't know. It just is astonishing to me. So, we've got the Caden's law that's proposed because of the situation with Caden, who was murdered by a father mm-hmm. who was given custody, despite evidence and despite reports, despite everything. And even then, the courts, don't, they rally around and they say, no, nope, not our fault, not our fault. We did it the right way. And I think, you know, I had, um, oh, gosh, I'm not remembering his name. I, if I said his name, you'd, remember, you'd know. Um, but um, 
He ran for Supreme Court in Louisiana this this last session. Oh, anyway, Cody. Yes, I had Cody on the show. Yeah. And um, he he opened my eyes a little bit about the court system. Um, and he was talking about you know the the rules of evidence and all this and how it's different in family courts. And it doesn't it shouldn't be in his opinion. It should be the same. There should be a preponderance of the evidence and blah blah blah. Um, but I think that he also talked about how family court judges perceive their role differently than just a criminal judge. Are you, have you read anything that he's written or heard him speak about yeah, that? I, yeah, I have. And, and basically, he's... Basic, I'd, I'd imagine, I'm not familiar with that exact interview, but basically he's saying that judge, family court judges perceive their job as... Fair, as fairly distributing custody, fairly distributing time with a child. Um, mm. And that is not... that. That's how... That is okay with normal, with normal custody situations, but normal custody situations do not involve domestic violence, do not involve child abuse. When that happens, you've automatically got something that's abnormal. And you've also mm-hmm. automatically got, this is where you get the high conflict divorces. This is where you get the people who are spending exorbitant amounts of time in court. It's not the War of the Roses. They're not doing this because they're really, you know, it's two people who are petty. It's one person who is trying to ruin another person by ruining their relationship with their child. Yeah, I think so. And and when a judge perceives his role as that of Solomon uh, with these yeah. cases, um, that coupled with, as I said, the the in my view, I mean, I'm a lay person here, but it seems like this notion of she lies, she lies. You know, I mean, it just is endemic. They don't want to let that go, even though study after study has shown some people lie in court. And no more women than men do, and it's a very tiny percentage. Right. And yet, somehow, um, we have judges seem, a lot of judges seem to have this, this notion that whatever she says is a lie or, at best, an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when they, when they fail to acknowledge that what's being told is, is the truth, that's when we get situations like the Caden situation. And right. what distresses me more is you made made a comment about going before the Judiciary Committee and that being a bunch of people that don't like to be corrected, don't like to, to be told what to do. And I think that that has a large part to play in this. Judges see their role as decider. And that's good because they, they are deciders. But when they're... I don't know if ego is the right word, but when when their um, sense that they know everything takes precedence over somebody like Caden and and what can happen, I I don't I have a hard time understanding how they sleep at night, and I know that's yeah. harsh. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I re- I agree with you. And they, I think ego is 
a good is a good part of it. I have talked with I've protective mothers about in fact, I've known some whose cases have been going on for oh goodness gracious close to 10 years and um one mother who I know a huge part of her case involved CPS and she was trying to get an indicated CPS report and we kept talking in that time that we've known each other and I've been involved with her case we've had um the several we've had the county legislator legislature where we live has shifted from democrat to republican now back to democrat and each time she was you know there's a new a whole new guard that comes in and all new people come in and she's like okay well maybe there's going to be a big clean sweep maybe we're going to get a lot of new people in and it's going it's going to help and what my answer to her has always been and unfortunately it's been right is it doesn't really matter who we get in there because they all believe the same lies they all believe the same these same stories they all believe that false allegations are common they all believe that people will lie to get custody which when you think about it that makes no logical sense at all because these women talk about the domestic violence or the sexual abuse or whatever it is that is going on in their situation and their situation gets worse and worse and worse you would think they'd stop if they were if they were doing this to gain some kind of advantage, you'd think they would stop very quickly, but that's not what happens. They keep telling the truth because they just cannot believe how badly the deck is stacked against them. Exactly. And more and more evidence as we go along. I mean, children who have been in these situations who have been sent to live with abusers, those children have reached the age of maturity, and they are telling their stories. And they are, you know, they are letting the cat out of the bag here. Now, some of the the children who are forced to live with abusers, um, they are the ones that are, I don't know whether brainwashing is the right word, but they they are don't see the full picture. They grow up thinking perhaps mom didn't want them or whatever, um, and those kids just. You know they don't they don't have a, a clue as adults of what actually transpired, um, but the ones who can remember the ones who understand um, those, those kids are I forget the name of the organization perhaps you know it that uh, um, uh, they are vocal and about the situation and how their lives work um, and I say you know let let's let's let the cat out of the bag now that you're and you have some say. Um, I'm surprised. I, I'm sure there is a prohibition against suing a judge. I know you can't do that. However, I wish you could. Um, I wish you could. Um, yeah. In cases like, you know. Yeah. So that's it's, more, yeah. That, I mean, that would certainly be a game changer, that's for sure. <laughs> I know. I know, but guess who makes the laws? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So guess what we're going to do first? We're going to make sure nobody can sue us. Um, (laughs) 
okay, I, you know, now I'm going to get the emails from the lawyers. But, um, right. and, <laughs> um, but anyway, and, and, you know, lawyers are wonderful things to have. They really are, but they can also, whoa, you know. So anyway, that's my caveat. That's my full attempt at the caveat. Let's talk more <laughs> about Caden's uh, situation. When was that? She was seven years old. And when yeah. did that occur? Was it a long time ago where we can say, well, surely the judges have learned from that, from that and, and things are starting to move? Or when was Caden's situation? When was her, her murder? Um, she was murdered in August of 2018. So, yeah, two years ago. Uh-huh. Or you, not even two. Yeah, not even. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I would have thought that they would have had a chance. I mean, let me see. The uh, Adverse Childhood Experiences Study has been out for 30 years. Um, yeah, I would think that a judge would would have a basic knowledge of this. So um, do you think that it's, you know, oftentimes I'll speak with people and I'll say, well, what what's the solution? What do we, what do we have to do for this this situation? And they say, we have to educate judges. And I go, well, good luck with that, because if we haven't done that in the last 30 years, what makes you think we're going to do it in the next 30? You can't educate somebody if they don't want to be educated. Right. So is that why um, Stop Abuse Campaign is behind this this legal, um, you know, to, to make laws to mandate um, child custody? Yes, absolutely, because we have edu- – there is a – Education thinks blah. Education fixes things that are caused by ignorance. That's all it does. If somebody genuinely doesn't know that, and just you know, hypothetical example, if somebody genuinely doesn't know that sexually abusing a child is very, very bad for them, well, okay, teaching them that is going to, might change the way they behave, might change the decisions they make. If somebody genuinely doesn't know that um, women rarely fabricate stories of abuse to gain advantage in custody cases, teaching them that may, would, may influence behavior. But there's a lot of other things that need to happen, and one of them is that in, in my experience, this is where it gets really tricky, is the judges need to actually believe what they're hearing because they do tend to come back with, well, that's not what I've seen. I've seen this happen and da-da-da. And what they, what they have actually seen, I mean, yes, they're, it's possible that they've seen some of the really, really rare cases, but what they've also seen are cases where the mother wasn't lying the child was being abused, and they refused to believe that was the case. Um, So you can educate judges, and there is a place for that. Um, And that is is something that we support, but we also know that that's not going to fix everything, certainly not quick enough. So... Yes, you need we need to prohibit certain kinds of custody decisions, and that is why we support legislative solutions to this problem. Yeah. Um, so, t- 
tell me about um, the law. Who drafted this? I mean, somebody got an idea that we need a law, and a lot of times people get that idea, but then it stops there. Yeah, so... Um, an effort to b- bring on board the Stop Abuse campaign, and then you guys got some expertise, and, and you, uh, was it started uh, by, by a mother? Who started this? How did it pro- progress, this uh, cadence movement? Okay, so um, again, several years ago, Barry Goldstein, who is our research director and is a wonderful human being and one of the strongest advocates for... What's that? Yeah, Barry's been on the show a couple times, so he's definitely a friend of the show. Yes, absolutely. Um, He was working with a protective mother in Pennsylvania. She She got a meeting with a legislator and Barry came down he met with this he and his mother met with the legislator the legislator said okay great I support this I'm going to introduce this bill but I'm not going to get but my term is about to end I'm not running for re-election so we got the bill introduced in the end of the legislative session and that was it it just kind of stayed there and then the protective mother who had gotten it introduced, she was no longer able to keep advocating for it. She just, I don't remember the details about what was going on with her situation, but she just didn't have the time or the emotional energy to keep dealing with it. And that's very common with protective mothers because court Mm -hmm, is so exhausting. Um, Well, and the whole process, I mean, this woman just lost her child, you know, and now she has to go wait, you know, I mean, uh, it's just it's just in, inconceivable how how I mean somebody once said domestic violence victims must be very weak, and I just about fell off my chair. Oh and I went, no! Domestic violence women are the strongest women you will ever meet. Absolutely, strong women. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just, uh, but still, there's a limit. There's a limit to how much a, a woman can do, and I. I, I certainly understand how, you know, yeah. for whatever reason she would be up. So, sorry. Okay, right. So. And so the so bill, she, yeah, so the, the yeah. first version of the bill kind of uh, was in limbo for about a year. Then we got another, actually, protective grandmother who came on board, and she wanted to, she was doing this really to save her granddaughter, who's in a very bad situation, so she started working with us, and she was able to network with a lot of protective mothers in her area and kind of was able to, you know, just get people to have go to rallies and visit their legislators and call their legislators and just kind of keep interest in this topic. Um, we were able to get Mark Rossi's ear, who is – um, the champion for statute of limitations reform in Pennsylvania, um, and he's he's a sex abuse survivor himself. So he was very interested in this, since one of the most common subsets of of family court abuse is when the kid is being sexually abused. So he was very he was very supportive. He got some momentum behind this, and then. Um, when Caden was murdered, 
somehow our ch- our chapter leader was able to connect with her, and Barry was able to connect with her, and I was able to meet with the family as well. Um, I mean, when the, it is absolutely true that the worst thing a human being can endure is the loss of a child, and when parents lose their children, usually they just collapse under the grief and that's very very common and that's normal and that's what you would expect occasionally there are families where that just doesn't happen and the mother or somebody very close to the mother is able to come out fighting right away and that's kind of been Caden's family they have been very vocal about their situation they wanted to pass legislation that would do something about this and you know do something to keep what happened to Caden from happening again and so they they kind of had their list of priorities and some of them made a lot of sense some of in any kind of a custody case some of them made were kind of specific to her case and wouldn't necessarily be as be as logical across the state um but we were all able to you know work it out talk talk about what was going on meanwhile we still had protective mothers talking to their legislators and one of the things they talked about was the financial impact all of this has because this is not only do abusers use the custody of the child to emotionally ruin their victim? It also financially ruins their victim because their victims are going to spend every dime they've got fighting to try to maintain whatever custody they've ha- they have or try to get get in a better situation, get their child in a better situation. So we got language involving some of involving some financial equity put into the bill. Um, We finally got a really good, really strong bill that has a lot of support. And where is that right now? Is that in... in... It's, um, we're, it's, my understanding is it's passed the Judiciary Committee in both houses and it's just waiting for a vote. So I do not know. I'm not. I at this moment I have not seen a schedule for when this is expected to go to a vote, but it could become law very soon. Wonderful. So yeah. I'm not familiar with the Pennsylvania legislature. Do they meet year round or are they? Yeah, seasonal? they. Yeah, they do. Okay. All right. Because here in Washington, we the first three months supposed to be the first three months unless they go into overtime. Uh, is the session, and then that's it. Yeah, um, it's a it's a, a part time legislature. Right. Um, yeah, Pennsylvania yeah. is a full time, which is interesting. New York is part time too, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth. So. Yeah, I like the part time because I, I, of course, I, I'm a luddite, and I'm just, I, you know, I see, figure if they're not there, they can't they can't screw things up. <laughs> yeah, so. Texas has. Every other year, legislation. Every other year, um, legislative session. When I heard that, mm-hmm. I, that's kind of what I thought. I'm like, wow. 
Wow. That that says a lot about change in Texas, I guess. I don't know. It does. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it's good. Who knows? You know. It's um, yeah, I, I think it must be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like I said, for me, for me, I mean, I just kind of sit there going, uh huh. Well, okay, let's just, you know, let's just not do anything, because it seems like so often when we do stuff, it makes it, you know, it's great for about a year, and then it makes everything worse, you know, um, all those unintended consequences that nobody thought about, you know. Right. But anyway, but it, it looks like it's going to pass and move and um, go somewhere this this session this year. Yeah, it very it's that is what everybody here has we're all have our fingers crossed. It seems like it's got a very good chance. Um mm-hmm. it has broad bipartisan support and Caden's family got to speak with Governor Wolf, who is supportive of at least in broad strokes, supportive of fixing this situation. He is supportive of keeping judges from sentencing children to certain abuse and and trauma and death. I mean, as well he should be, as well everybody should be. But he well, now understands the process of how this happens in family court better than most. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? People, unless you've been through family court, you don't know. You You have assumptions. You kind of have you know, nice rosy glasses on where you think that, because, I mean, I, I'm always astonished by people that I speak to who think courts are all about justice and truth. And no, they're about laws and paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sorry, but that's that's the way it is. And, yeah. Um, you know, that <laughs> um, it has nothing to, you know, if justice is accomplished along the way, yippee skippy, that's a nice little bonus. But it's it's not something that's designed into the system, at least not at this point in, in our lives. And so I think that's one of the reasons why you see, you know, these egregious cases going on. Um, that it, You know, it, nobody's saying what is the just and fair thing. They're saying what is the um, legally correct thing. They're saying right. what... what uh, well, you know what does what does the paper say? Who I always make the joke that when you go into court, uh, the one with the most paper wins. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, if you can show all this documentation and all that, even if it's even if it's rugged documentation that, you know, you just took notes and you made them into a file folder and that's documentation and they like that. They like things written down. They like that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the more paperwork you can provide, the more likely you are to win. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult in these cases because so so often people are traumatized and they don't they don't know the thing about the paperwork and they can't provide paperwork. And even when they do provide paperwork, I mean, I know of one case where the woman um, had a um, how she was it? A school psychologist said that the child had been sexual, was uh, acting out, you know, sexual uh, behavior, uh-huh. and that she suspected that the child had been abused. So mom shocked, you know, took the child to a psychiatrist and a doctor. Yep, the child shows indications that he's being abused. So then they go to the the counselor. Counselor meets with the child and says, child says, daddy did it. 
boom, she files for divorce and reports this to the court because clearly the court will not allow him to be near this child. And the judge's response was, well, we don't know for sure it was daddy. So we have to assume that he's innocent. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, if I'm looking for a babysitter and I hear about one that might have or who has been accused of molesting a child, would I still hire that babysitter? Of course I wouldn't. Right, you know, exactly. Be, you know, and yet he's a judge who says, well, unless it's proof positive, and, you know, like any of these sexual abuse cases, all the way up to rape, you know, very rarely are there are there witnesses, you know, so if you're waiting right. for, you know, corroboration from somebody, you've got a long wait ahead of you. Um, and yet that's how they do it. I, you know, it's just, it's an astonishing, astonishing thing to me. It really is. Mm-hmm. And yet, there you go. So what is the Stop Abuse Campaign also working on besides Cadence Law? Okay, so we are, I mean, our place in the universe is to prevent adverse childhood experiences through public education and public policy. Um, and that's a huge, huge, huge umbrella. Um, there are lots of things that need to happen to make adverse childhood experiences rare. Um, family court reform is one that just one of the absolutely most egregious examples of just of the Justice Department, of judges, of the su- people who are supposed to be so smart and so powerful, getting it really, really wrong. So this, so family court reform is an issue that's very near and dear to us, and we have legislation like Caden's Law has been introduced in multiple states. Um, every state, the exact verbiage is different based on the state's existing laws, based on the culture of the state, based on who we've got volunteering in that state as an advocate. All of that stuff changes, but we are working on this in multiple states. And to get legislation with any teeth, it does need to be introduced state by state. So, so that's... Are working on in Washington state? What's that? So are people working on it in Washington yes, state? Yes, actually. Um, we do have a oh, Washington I... state. Yeah, we do have a Washington state chapter. Um, I actually need to reach out to them because I believe Washington state session is going to start up fairly soon. I kind of yes. yeah, I need yes. an update there. But yeah, we do have a chapter in Washington state um, and Oregon. Um, Let's see. We, <laughs> you can tell you're from back east. It's, it's Oregon, okay? Oregon. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> you oh, goodness. Than that. Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> the O sounds pronounced like a U. Got it. <laughs> we always laugh at you people. Yeah, so you've got family court reform. All over, um, in a bunch of in a bunch of different states, we um, statute of limitations reform for child sexual abuse is very important because that is one of the leg- pieces of legislation without which you you are never going to be able to significantly impact child sex abuse because we know that most kids do not disclose while they are kids. 
And if they do disclose all their kids, it's unlikely that the right thing is going to happen on their behalf. So to give adult sex abuse survivors a chance to identify their abusers and have their day in court and get some kind of justice and impose some kind of consequences on their abusers, that is enormous. In New York, after 15 years of hard work, the Child Victims Act passed this year. That's been one of our biggest accomplishments to date. Um, and that's just been a very, very happy. Lots of people who I've had the privilege of working with have are using this and are bringing have had, got to see their abusers' names in the paper and gotten to see other people reach out to them and say, oh, this person abused me too. It's a very, very powerful moment for now hundreds and hundreds of people across the state. And after New York got it done, several other states also did the right thing and passed similar legislation. So we've it's been a big year for statute of limitations reform. Um, I think we did it in... in um Two years ago, I think we got um, uh, child um, uh, for for the child assault. We got the statute of limitations um, changed. So uh-huh. that was, you know, um, Washington tends to be pretty progressive when it comes to a lot of these things. But um, yeah, but you know, yeah. So you know, we try, <laughs> we try. Um, okay, so um, this is what the Stop Abuse Campaign does. What's down the road? I mean, obviously, uh, you're a large organization, so you're probably not working on only one thing at a time. Am I right? Correct. Um, Some other things we're doing right now, we are – actually, it's kind of neat doing some some research stuff. We're also working on helping programs that do – provide maternal home visitation services, which maternal home visitation services are the probably the biggest ACE prevention tool out there. These are programs that work with fa- new families, usually who have themselves experienced an awful lot of trauma, often it's single mothers, but not necessarily. Um, but people who are really, really struggling to raise their kids. Um, there are these wonderful programs out there that just have learned through 40 years of evidence that support and just building a healthy relationship with these women or parents who are really in need of that, who are who are finding parenting to be very stressful and something that they are just emotionally or situationally not prepared for. We can help them. We can make them into very good parents. We can also help them improve their own status in life, whether it's escaping poverty, quitting addictions, um, getting out of abusive relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, These programs are amazing, and most people have never even heard of them. And the people who have heard it, ah, sorry, most people have never heard of them. And they are funded at about, so about between 5 and 10% of eligible families across the country get them. So that means these programs that prevent abuse, that prevent maternal mortality, maternal poverty, all these 
all these significant things are denied categorically to 90 to 95% of the people who could benefit from them. So, and why? Why is that? That's a good question. Um, some of it is, I think, it's hard for us to, it's a change in the way we view people. It's a change in the way we view parenting. We like to think that there are good parents and bad parents, and never the twain shall meet. There is no gray. There is no, a parent is a parent. Um, What society does to them, what help they have, what resources they have, has a lot to do with how good or bad they're going to be. Um, We're not, that's that's kind of a tricky thing for people to wrap their minds around. We like telling people to, you know, we like saying, oh, there's classes. People can learn how to parent. Well, it's more, there's more to it than that. It's really about support, and it's really about relationships. That's really why these programs work as well as they work, is someone's not just handing them a pamphlet about how to raise a child and be a good, productive adult. Someone is helping them do it for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it used to be grandma, but we don't. We're not close to our family, our families um, yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. In a, in good, healthy families, yeah, grandma can be a huge asset. A lot of times, we are geographically away from families, and that doesn't exist. And if sometimes grandma is the reason why uh, why the kid is in such a bad situation right now. Yes, exactly, exactly. You know, I, I thought when I said that, I thought, well, that's assuming that the, the that there was no abuse from grandma. You know? Right. But um, yeah, and and you know, let's face it. I I know my father's father. My father, um, you know, he would have been born in the 1800s, and my father's father, the story goes, was being beaten in a street by his father. Now, this would have been a, a dirt street where horses were riding. Mm. And as he, as my great-grandfather was beating him in the street, one of the neighbors came by and stopped him and said, you don't deserve to have this child, and took my grandfather home and raised him. Oh, my gosh. Boom. Done. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Yeah, done. That that's it. Of course you could never you could never do that today, but still No, I mean, no you wouldn't. No then you would wind up um dealing with family court and police and all sorts yeah. of other institutions. Yeah. But feds <laughs> would probably have something to do about it, you know. But in that day that was the solution. You don't deserve mm-hmm. this child, you're not feeding this child and I will take this child away and I did. You know, mm-hmm. and boom. Um so interesting solutions in, in different eras, but we're not in that era anymore. Um, yeah. You can't just grab somebody's child and say, okay, I'll give them a better life here. You have to, you know, go go through the, the organizational structure if you're going to try and improve something. And unfortunately, in my view, so often those organizational structures, like the courts, are so huge and so cumbersome and so rife with people who do not understand at all what's going on um that you know sometimes the solution is worse than the than the problem i think um, right and 
that's you know getting getting back to like maternal home visitation programs which prevent abuse and prevent CPS involvement. Yeah, that's one of the things we found is that foster care statistically on a whole is atrocious. It gets atrocious outcomes. Mm. It's hard to say why. Is it because um children move around too much? Is it because there aren't a lot of good foster parents? Is it because children have to endure so much before they get put into the system? It's a, And it's an impossible thing to do a random assignment study, so you can't really get a scientific answer to that. But, yeah, we've yeah, these the insti- I mean, it's foster care is an institution that was started out with great intentions, and it certainly does serve a function, but we've learned that the bigger it is, the more kids are going to fall through the cracks, which is why preventing the abuse from starting is so important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the standards for abuse, I mean, I think have changed over the generations, of course. And it might be difficult. Uh, I, my son works with, with families of, from different cultures. And he said there, he was uh, with a woman from Somalia, lovely woman, single mother, had a couple of kids, and she was on the second floor of the apartment. Well, her children started climbing out the window, not onto hey. a deck, just climbing out the window. And so the mother nailed the window shut. And oh. And son said, you can't do that. And right. he said she just started to sob and said, how do you people raise children? How It's impossible to raise children here. <laughs> well, because she's not exactly wrong. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And and I think that there is that conflict, you know, where she came from, there were probably other, you know, large extended family members who could have helped her with the situation, but here she is, boom, by herself. Mm-hmm. The solution she thinks of, children climbing out window, let's keep them from climbing out the window. That's dangerous. Well, <laughs> duh, so is nailing the window shut. And right. so there we are. We're telling her, yes, you have this problem. Yes, it's life-threatening for your children to climb out the window, but no, you cannot solve that by preventing the window from opening. Right. We're not giving you any other way to solve it, are we? Right, exactly. You know, and and so, you know, it it just, I think it's raising children in this day and age is an astonishingly difficult thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Probably always has been, but I only know about this day and age. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that and the and the, the day and age where, you know, somebody could see a child being beaten and say, nope, it's coming home with me, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which sounds a lot better to me sometimes. But um, anyway, well, I also wanted to know about going back to Caden's thing, what kind of efforts are you guys doing to try and spread this law to other states, or are you leaving that to the connections that you have, or are you act, actually taking an active part in in trying to institute uh, legislation in other states. I know you said you had partners that you're working with, but are, is it just a, hi, we're doing this, what are you doing? Or is it, are you actively out there showing other we, states how to yeah, do it? We are out there looking, f- um, looking for leaders in other states who are, I should say, I shouldn't say we're out there recruiting. We let them come to us through our web page, through our Facebook page, when we get people who, women who's, well, it's not necessarily women, but so far it mostly has been, um, mostly protective parents, but it 
doesn't need to be, who have a passion a passion for this issue and have, if they have some time to dedicate to it, if they have some kind of a background in advocacy or government or not-for-profits, that's better, but it's not required. Um, but if you're willing to just kind of take some, do some work and do and learn and work with us and can also willing to work with your legislator, yes, we are willing to have you and we are willing to help you and help you grow and learn how you do how to do what you need to do. Um, it's tricky because we are mostly volunteers and time and resources are stretched thin sometimes, but that is, mm-hmm. yes, but yes, we we want leaders from other states to come to us and kind of learn learn how to do this the right way and learn how to get good results. Well, what crossed my mind as we were having this conversation is I belong to a business professional women's club. And the state uh, organization has a, a PAC, and they don't, uh, you know, do candidates. They do issues. And there was a big meeting a couple of months ago about what issues do we want to be involved in, what do we want to advocate for. It seems to me that this would be a perfect thing for business and professional women because you are not only looking at women's issues, you're looking at the future and Mm -hmm. healthy economic futures. And it's, let's face it, if you've gone through these childhood, uh, uh, these adverse childhood experiences no matter from what area in what area it is harder and harder to be economically sound when you're an adult it's 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 very difficult i mean the studies show yeah, it so absolutely it to me that an organization so i guess what i'm saying is let me know what i can do um to see if we can get this state organization interested in in working uh on a caden type law here in washington state Okay, I am happy to connect you with um, with the people we've some of the our advocates we've got in Washington State because Washington State is one of the easier states to do this with. Um, like you said, they you are you do try to be progressive, and that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think that um, you know, I mean, people. You know, people want to do right. You know, they want to do right with, yeah. with children, and you know, it's just. Um, I, th- I think it's just crucial that we all. Uh, as, as, and and to me, one of the biggest problems that we have is that people do not understand what happens in family courts, and I think that most people just really can't believe it. They think that well, you must just be exaggerating, or you're just, you know, you're just it's just you're just being bitter or something that yeah, really couldn't absolutely. happen. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, yeah, and that is when we try to talk about what happens in family court to organization, to places like you're talking about, like Rotary Clubs and economic, you know, women's clubs and stuff like that. That is kind of what happens because this isn't how most divorces shake out. Most divorces are settled relatively amicably because thankfully most divorces don't involve domestic violence and child abuse. Um, So it's, you tell this to people and there's a little bit of, huh, I've never seen that. 
and yeah. it's not. What do you think? I, I had somebody say to me once, oh, I had, and this was, we were talking about a mom who had a, a lifetime protection order against her ex-husband for, because he was abusive. Lifetime protection order against this man. And, you know, they don't do that frequently. <laughs> no, they don't. A lot of states don't even have laws allowing you to do that. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we're talking about this particular woman, and uh, the this man said, very well-meaning, but this man said, oh, I know how it is. I had a very contentious divorce with my wife two years ago, but now we're best of friends. You just have to get over it. Oh, yeah. But now we're right. best of friends, and I'm thinking lifetime protection order versus we had a nasty divorce, and now we're best of friends two years later. I don't know. I don't. I think you're talking apples oranges here. You know. Yeah. I don't think you get it. Um, yeah. Exactly. And and people don't get it. You know, no. they just don't get it until they've lived through it. And right. Or until they see somebody go through it with their own two eyes. Or now, more and more, little by little. Um, the media is slowly learning how to tell these stories because they are so, these cases are so complicated and big and also they just do defy common sense um, that, peop- that the media has been reluctant to cover them because, again, they, have, they know that the abuser is likely to sue them and that's been known to happen, so they have to be very, very, very careful with how they cover this. They're very litigious, they're very litigious and that's yeah. how they get their way. They, they, they're bullies. That's how they yeah. get their way. Um, you know, I've seen, I mean, even workplace bullies, I've seen, you know, I've, I've, I've been in an office where there was a workplace bully, and everybody, including the boss, would just... I mean, they would go up to other people saying, oh, she's not going to do such and such. Would you just do it? Yeah. Because they don't want to deal with her. Right, exactly. The nasty people get their way because it works when they're nasty. Right, Um, exactly. And and these abusers are kind of like the epitome of being nasty, you know, Mm -hmm. and and they intimidate people. People don't want to deal with them, and so there you go. Um, But it's, it's very unfortunate because then... The more the more wins they have for that behavior, the more behavior they exhibit. You know, so anyway, that's 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 my thirty cent analysis of what makes abusers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, oh my gosh, I can't believe that we have talked, and we've kind of been all over the board here. Um, but I've enjoyed our conversation. I think it's been productive, and hopefully, people have learned some stuff from it, and. Um, did I did I miss anything that I should have asked you that you think? No, I think I think we're good. Okay, all right, good. So if people want to reach the Stop Abuse campaign, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to www.stopabusecampaign.org, and there's contact information right there on the website, and it gives you a little bit more information about who we are and what we do. Okay, and again, Barry Goldstein. Anybody who's listened to the show knows um, knows about Barry and knows the the uh, not the knowledge and dedication that he brings to these topics and th- these issues. So, again, 
thank you. I, I hope you come again. Keep us surprised of what's going on with the Stop Abuse Campaign and let us know how we can help. And um, for folks who are interested, go to the Stop Abuse Campaign, see what you can do to help this situation and perhaps start an, uh, some efforts in your state for a law to help protect children like Caden. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Melanie, for being on the show. And thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways. See you next week.